It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about Ohio State football playing a football game against another football team that isn't themselves and then proceeding to beat the crap out of them. Let's talk about that, something that hasn't happened in 43 weeks. Andy, how are you feeling about this? Everything else aside, we'll, talk, we'll get in the game and what it looks like. Everything else aside, how are you feeling about the fact that this is a thing that we are doing right now? This is pretty great that there's like, you know, real live actual topics related to the sport, which we're kind of dedicated to talking about. It's a, it's oh a my God. thing, you know, it's, it it's, really is it's a big deal. I, and, and I have to empathize, you know, with several um, people I saw on, on the Twitter uh, place. I spent entirely too much time on Saturday, you know, commenting about, you know, this feels kind of weird with everything going on in the world. You know, we're watching this football game. I have to tell you, I think most of us got over that weird feeling pretty fast mm-hmm. because it was just great to watch Ohio state do its thing uh, on the field. There, there were a lot of weird things that you could talk about, you know, the piped in crowd noise and the cutouts and the fact yeah. that it was super weird to see the shoe you know empty for all intents and purposes but man the on the field product you know shoot that straight into my veins brother yeah it was it was pretty sick and honestly it's the little things right i mean obviously i love watching ohio state football and and them winning big and all that good stuff but (laughs) i in a way i think i had missed kind of the completely misplaced anxiety that we have sometimes about you know issues that we tend to overinflate in our brains and say oh my god they're gonna lose it. everybody else on the schedule they're terrible why can't they run the like the, the small little anxieties that pop up during the game where you have to remind yourself that you're watching a team that hasn't played in forever and also the fact that they're still really good <laughs> it's just one of those things that i think is endemic to being an ohio state football fan and i had forgotten about that a little bit I, I think I had kind of assumed that I would just be chill watching this game, and I had to realize that, no, I'm, I'm an Ohio State fan. I will never be chill. Yeah, I feel anything. like that Cooper-era PTSD is a real thing, you know? Yeah. I think younger younger listeners might not get it, but those of us of a certain age, uh, and, and, and uh, even those who are a few years older than you and I or that li- lived through the Earl Bruce era, is what you just assume something's going to happen. It's not going to work out, even though we've had – decades now where you know it works out <laughs> right well but but so I'm, they, I'm with you like that first half and i was talking with a friend earlier today we were kind of comparing notes about the game and you know you look at the, if you just walked in at the end of the game and you just looked at the the scoreboard you'd say oh that was a good old-fashioned butt whooping sure. but if you set through the first half like you went into halftime even though ohio state had you know a nice lead at that point right you're you're mm. what 24 14 i think at that stage yeah but you still we're like, oh, oh, this could go either way, you know, because Nebraska was having success moving the ball early on. Uh, Ohio State, you know, I think we've been used to just having this shutdown defense, and and you thought, oh no, they could they could start giving up some major points here, and then yeah, they pulled away at the end, and it was a comfortable victory. But but that that feeling that something was going, and part of me says this when you're the fan of a team that has national title expectations. There, there are only one of two ways that you can really go. One is is just the path of hubris, where uh, you know, <laughs> and Clem, Clemson and Alabama fans, you know, probably probably know this feeling well. Like you are just assuming you are going to win every game comfortably because right. everybody else sucks and you do not. 
Uh, or you, you are like an Ohio state fan where you know, you're going to win, but you just get those little tremors that it's going to all go horribly wrong because you know, it's gone horribly wrong once or twice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it has. And sometimes you can just lean into the hubris and it works out. I mean, I remember DJ basically telling us from, you know, pretty much the Michigan game that Ohio State was going to win the national championship in 2014. He was, was stone cold on it. I mean, that, he was. It, he it, was. It never wavered at, at, at an iota. Right. And sometimes that pays off and sometimes it's the right thing to do. But this is weird times. And I can understand where somebody would be a little trepidatious about doing that. And look, it was a tie game at one point. I mean, Nebraska came out in the first drive. They had a great long run from uh, McCaffrey. Uh, it looked like they were going to be able to move the ball at will. If <laughs> you had forgotten that Ohio State has a lot of incredible athletes and players and coaching, and that's the thing. Like, football is a long game. It takes a long time to complete an entire football game, and they're going to figure things out. And, and Ohio State did figure things out. At halftime, they buckled down. Nebraska only scored three points in the entire second half. There were two really good drives that Nebraska put together in the game, and that's pretty much it. Um, they did – I mean, they they did have a decent one uh, in the second half where they did get that field goal. But overall, I am not as freaked out about the defense in general, I think, as some people might be. This was a team that had some really dynamic players that they were able to kind of exploit some things in Ohio State's defense. And I've been saying this for a while. This season will favor – a dynamic offense over a defense pretty much through at least the first half of the season. Because what you're going to get is you're going to get offenses playing on the fact that defenses have to play instinctually and doing everything they can to mess up uh, their timing, their predictive abilities, all that kind of stuff. They're going to do fakes. They're going to do all kinds of things that are going to be really hard for a defensive player to react to. Um, so I'm not at all surprised that Nebraska came out and did some creative things. Scott Frost isn't an idiot. He's, he's a good coach. Um, and I, you know, I, I wasn't shocked that they were able to put some good things together in the first half because it's, it's going to be shaky and it's going to be weird. I would have panicked a little bit more. I would have a little, been a little more, more upset if Ohio State didn't come out offensively and show something. And they did. They, they, they scored 24 points and a half. That's pretty damn good. That's not amazing. It's not like they're going to, you know, score 50 every game and, and things like that. But the point is, is that they're still operating at a pretty high level when it comes to the offense. And that's really what I wanted to see. So when Justin Fields throws that frozen rope, right? The Garrett Wilson, 42 yards. And you're like, geez, like this guy can throw anything from any position, do any kind of throw on the field. Um, I was, I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling pretty good. And, and I felt like Ohio State football was back and Justin Fields has not missed a single bit of a step. I mean, that guy is right on it. And he's any team that has Justin Fields on it is going to win a lot of football games because he's, he's that damn good. He's really great. Yeah, he's every bit as good as advertised and maybe then some. And oh, by the way, it's super helpful that he has maybe the most talented wide receiver core in the country yeah uh, and and you know that's that's a group that it's really astounding how good they've gotten over the past two or three seasons you know certainly the talent is there but I think you don't have to make much of an argument to say Brian Hartline may be the best in the business doing it uh as their position coach and 
and, and it's just, I mean, not one or two guys. I mean, you had two guys that tallied, what, 233 yards, I think, and yep. uh, Chris Olave and, and uh, Garrett Wilson. And um, you're looking at just eye-popping stats. And not only the stats, but the catches that they make are... Well, that's, what I found, that's what I thought was interesting, though, right? Because the best catch of the entire game came to a guy, right, who had score, who who only had two catches the entire time. Jackson Smith uh, and Jigba had two catches for five yards, and it was like the most insane five-yard catch you'll ever see in your entire life. Um, I There is so much talent there. And, and what's interesting to me, and I, I said this before the season started, I said this is going to be a pass-first offense. They just have too much talent. I expected them to spread it around a little bit. I didn't think Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave would be the ones who would really get – I mean, I thought they would get the bulk of it, obviously. I didn't think they would vastly outnumber everybody else. But that's a good thing to do, especially early in the season, because, okay, so they sell out to stop those two guys. They put, you know, five defensive backs or whatever. You still have to worry about three other guys. Yeah. Right? Like Jeremy Rucker, Luke Farrell. Uh, Trey Sermon can catch it out of the backfield. I think that's going to be a big weapon for them yep. to try to open up the running game. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Jackson Smith uh, and Jigba, Julian Fleming, these guys are going to be a problem. And if you can hit people deep, and we saw a couple really nice deep uh, throws from Justin Fields, that's where I think they're going to tear these teams up is the short and medium passes because there's so many guys who can take those and then turn them into 40, 50, 60 yard runs or 50 yards uh, passes. Like they're going to, they're going to do catch and runs and it's going to be terrible uh, to deal with for other defenses. The thing that was incredible too, about that catch from um, Jackson Smith and Jigba is that with Chris Olave, you know, he, he's been the guy here now for a couple of years and yep one of his hallmarks is just the incredible body control. Like he's had some of those toe tap catches, you know, on the sideline or in the end zone. And you say, wow, you just marvel what he's able to do to, to keep in the field of play and make the catch and score the touchdown. And so then when you see a second guy, young guy doing the same thing, you're like, Oh my God, they can all do it. Where you, if <laughs> you, you might, you might look at a lot of him and be like, well, he's a special talent. You know, he's, he's going to be um, playing on Sundays. And, and then you know, you're like, oh, nope, there's two or three guys in here who apparently can do those same insane kind of highlight reel catches. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, when I was watching that catch, uh, that touchdown catch in, in real time, I thought it was out of bounds because you saw the, that kind of rubberized turf fill, right. whatever it is, fly up when he, when he comes down. And then, <laughs> then they start showing the replay, and you're like, wow, he was in and had room to spare. Uh, it was, it was just a thing of beauty. And, but then again, you got to go back to the straw that stirs the strength, the, the, the drink QB number one. I mean, he just puts the ball where his guys can get it and they go and they get it. And, and, right. and, and I felt bad for him because here he is, he's almost flawless. He was what, what final, final stat line was 20 out of 21, I think. And, uh, that, that 21st one was a touchdown, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, the one, the one that wasn't, uh, you know, that was just, man. You talk about a Heisman kickoff campaign. That was a thing of beauty. Guy, guy couldn't have really done any better. The other thing I like, you know, I want to want to give shout out to player of the game there, uh, the quarterback sneak. It's yeah. been a while, so where you had a guy that you were just like, you know, you know, I remember so many times during the Urban Meyer era, where I was just like, line up under center and run it right behind the big man, like just yep. push him. You know, you expected for an offensive line driven program that you'd be able to just push and get that yard or two. And we saw him Saturday, just get that one yard or two 
Uh, I love that. That that made my little heart go pitter pat as much as anything that we could just put put your quarterback under center and get the first down when you needed it. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, and that's something that we've seen Ryan Day show a willingness to do in general in his play calling. And it, it may, it's such a high percentage play. I don't know why, especially with a guy like Justin Fields, who's a legit 6'3", right? He's, he's a big guy. Yeah. Um, vegan or not, I, you, you put him behind <laughs> that center and you, you get the first down. And they did it, and they repeatedly did it. I wanted to set an over-under on how many times that we're going to mention Justin Fields going vegan uh, during the broadcast. It's, uh, well, <laughs> it's more it's more fun to do it when it's clearly working out for him. You know what I mean? If this were a situation where you're like, oh, he looks weak, he can't hold into the ball, it's going, you know, he uh-huh. just can't. No, clearly, obviously, it, it is working for the dude. He, he looks great. He feels, says he feels great. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty legit. Here's the thing. We can get into the, the running game in a second. There is going to be some sloppiness in general at, on any part of the field, right? The, you just have guys who are coming back. It's their first real action. They don't really know exactly what they're doing. Trey Sermon, to say nothing about people who haven't played in a while, Trey Sermon yeah. <laughs> saw his first action as a running back in a very long time. Um, I am not as freaked out about the running game as some people might be. I will also say that the ceiling that they might expect that some people might expect for the running game probably isn't as high as they wish it to be because look, you're not going to get JK Dobbins back. That That's not the kind of production that you're going to see in 2020 with this team because it's JK Dobbins had what will probably be, and maybe it's because we, I think are used to inflated, scores and stat lines and things like that in the past 10 to 15 years. But J.K. Dobbins really had, in my opinion, what will probably be the most underrated uh, individual season in Ohio State history in a really long time. Like, going back forever. I, I think this is one of those seasons where people just won't ever talk about it enough because he put together, in my opinion, and I again, you've got to look at these uh, numbers in context, but really probably one of the top two or three seasons uh, individual seasons in Ohio State rushing history. You're not going to get that back. You're not going to get 2,000 yards from a running back. Now, some people look at the stats and say, well, you know, this not too bad, 222 yards rushing. It is important to keep in mind that about 60, 70 of those yards came in absolute garbage time, right? Yeah, like that's right. that was not during the, the heat of battle, so to speak, where Nebraska was selling out uh, to stop the run, as, as Kyle um, Jones on the website pointed out today. It's not a worry at this point in time. And and really, it is important to understand that a lot of it was due to Nebraska's scheme and the running backs missing some holes. But I also want to reemphasize that this is a this has got to be a pass first offense. And I'm not worried about that part about it because Justin Fields is hyper accurate. I would only worry about injuries. That's really the only thing that you you gotta like kind of consider going forward. If Justin Fields gets sick or goes down. Uh, you know, who do you replace him with mm-hmm. if you lose Chris Olave due to maybe a concussion or something like that, you know, making sure other guys can step up and, and replicate that kind of production. Uh, that's really the only thing I'm worried about with the offense. It's, it, I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid of the running game not being what it was last year because I don't think it has to be. Yeah, the, the thing that's a challenge for Ohio State fans is you're used to seeing it seems like one – you know, pro level running back after another. Uh, yeah. you know, we've just been kind of spoiled with having a dominant rushing attack of uh, the best in the conference or, or one of the two or three best in the conference. 
And you, you said it, uh, yeah, JK Dobbins, uh, hard to, hard to believe, but probably one of the, the underrated, um, players on the team last year, just unsung hero, I guess, for all, all, all that he was. And of course now steel chambers is probably the most popular guy on the team. It's like, you know, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy. Right. On the team. Maybe right. Maybe this year it's going to be the backup running back, uh, because, he comes into garbage time and looked <laughs> looked like an all pro, you know, after the game was already well in yeah. hand after watching the first two guys in the rotation, uh, you know, I, I know struggles, a fair word, but it, it sort of looked like, and I think you have to, you have to understand or appreciate and, and maybe people think we make too much of this, but I just, I think uh, master Teague, you know, he's a downhill, like straight ahead, Bull, I mean, he has no wiggle at all. Guy. The, right. the guy no, no, no. is not yeah. – he's not making people miss. That, that's just not going to happen. You're, you're not something. asking him to juke people out of, their, uh, no. out, out of their their socks. It's just not – that's not his thing. And that's okay because, you know, you come up to the goal line there and he punched it in when you needed him to punch it in. Right. That's, that, that's what that guy's for. And I think Sermon, yeah, you, you've got to respect the fact that he's coming back from a pretty extended time off the field uh, more than it would have been. And, and maybe they were being – Maybe they're being cautious into working him into the rotation. Maybe he ends up being uh, the, the number one guy as the season progresses and is more comfortable. And I think anything that happened in the first half of that game, you, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because yes. cobwebs are coming off. You know, <laughs> my, my first tweet of the game was 59 minutes uh, in, at, you know, 12.59 p.m. <laughs> I, I commented, I'm beginning to develop concerns about this defense. And, of course, that was a <laughs> – <laughs> that was a popular tweet at the time. And, yeah. you know, my concerns about the defense were lessened a fair bit by the end of the game uh, because you start to say, okay, they made some adjustments. Uh, you start to, you know, lock things down a little bit, tighten things up. And and, and maybe Nebraska is better than what I gave them credit for coming into it. I certainly think Scott Frost had a tremendous game plan uh, and put his team in position to to do well. And Ohio State just has better horses, period. Yeah, and that and that was really the difference in the game overall. I mean, the further you get into a, a game where maybe one team has a good scheme, they've kind of figured things out, but they have a talent discrepancy, the further you get into a game like that, the long the harder it's going to be for them to sustain it, right? Because that talent discrepancy is going to start to show up in the third and fourth quarter. And obviously that's kind of what happened. You know, if you're worried about the running game, the one worry that I would say is uh, teams forcing forcing Justin Fields to try to run. And I think 15 carries, that's how many he had against Nebraska, is way too many. Um, you don't want to see him put his, his body out there and, and take kind of punishment. You, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see him get hit that many times. He got sacked three times, um, hit a number of times. That, that is something that you can worry about a little bit if you're an Ohio State fan. But, you know, Trey Sermon, I, I think he's good. I think they have to get creative with how they include him in the offense. I don't think – uh, Master Teague is is going to be JK or even maybe you know Mike Weber, but um, you can utilize those two players in a way that still makes the running game dangerous. And I, I think they'll figure that out. One of the biggest strengths that Ryan Day has is understanding how to utilize his players and, and figure out um, you know where to get them in the best spots defensively. You know it was interesting because it's not. <laughs> Adrian Martinez is not a guy who is going to really make you kind of prove your bona fides uh, as a secondary for the most part. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's interesting because this is a team that last year did not face a lot of running quarterbacks, did not really have to worry about that, and was able to kind of go mano a mano on the edge. 
and they're not going to get a whole lot of that this season. They, they've, they've actually got to deal with a lot of running quarterbacks and, yep. and shift how they, they do things. So the linebackers, I think it was a bit of an adventure with them. Um, they played okay. Pete Warner, I think, had a good game. Um, I, I really am curious to see how the defensive line is going to develop because so much of what they do in coverage relies on a good pass rush. And I think they, they you kind of saw the beginnings of that, but there needs to be a couple guys who can step up and, and do that consistently because I think that's really going to be a make-or-break thing for them defensively to make sure that they can give the defensive backs some time, give the linebackers some time to figure out where they need to be and, and do what they need to do. But overall, I thought they played pretty well, honestly. I, there were, Like I said, there were a couple drives that Nebraska was able to sustain and, and look good, but in general – with the exception of a few uh, breakdowns in the linebackers and the, the secondary, I think they did a decent job. I thought it was an okay, you know, effort from the defense. I think it was great. They're obviously missing some guys, but in general, I thought they did a pretty good job. I think I want to, you know, just single out Haskell Garrett, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, two, absolutely. Two, less than two months after being shot in the face. Best player on the, on the defense for either team. I mean, not, not only checks in as part of the line, but, you know, I think what uh, puts, puts the first sack of the board, you know, defensive player of the game, I mean, he looked fantastic, right? So yeah. uh, I just am blown away. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us were kind of joking, you know, you, uh, I stubbed my toe and decided not to mow the yard yesterday. This guy gets shot in the face and he's playing Division One football six weeks later. Like, it's yeah. just mind-blowing. Uh, but, you know, my, my concerns about the defense were that – exactly what you said I'd, I'd still like to see you know the linebacker core kind of back up to that 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 standard we've seen um if they can get a good pass pass rush going I mean that's so huge that pass rush is really where everything starts and stops for how good Ohio State's been defensively but you have to look and think you've got potential all pro uh you know type defensive ends back to back to back with the Boses and, and Chase Young, they're all now in the league and and are among the highest or going to be among the highest paid players in the sport because of how good they are at that pass rush. Those guys, you know, I'd, I'd say they don't just walk in the door every recruiting class except the, <laughs> they sort of have for Ohio State for a while yeah. now. So that, that's that's something else that's kind of weird. So they're going to you know kind of establish their identity now who are going to be the the big playmakers there. Um, but, but I think you saw some flashes and as the game went on, that's one of those things too, where when you have the kind of depth, Larry Johnson's been good about rotating guys in off the line. You have the kind of depth that they have, you can wear down those offensive lines and maybe that pass rush becomes more effective as time goes on. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't get that same kind of push up front early on in the game, but then by halftime, you know, you've ground the big eaters into the turf. And, and they just can't hold up anymore. And I think you saw that to an extent. They weren't moving the, the ball nearly as well in the second half as, as they were in the first. Ohio State started getting more of that pressure, and uh, it was a different ball game. So I, I think we just kind of have to kind of chill out and, and not, not maybe be as worried about it as I was early on in the contest. Yeah, it, again, it's, it's a talent thing, but it's also just kind of a scheme thing and figuring out what you want to do. And – it's interesting to me to see the evolution of players, but it's also kind of comforting to see when a player that kind of you've hyped up and, and 
need to rely on ends up being really good. I thought, honestly, I mean, they stayed the hell away from Sean Way. They didn't want any part of that dude for the game. And, and granted, they didn't – Nebraska wasn't exactly throwing the ball around too much. I think there was like 20 total passes on their yeah. part, something like that. It's not like they were slinging it. But – you know, they stayed away from Sean Wade. I thought that guys like, you know, you mentioned Haskell Garrett obviously came back and had an incredible game. But guys like Pete Warner had a good game. I thought Marcus Hooker did pretty good. I, it's interesting to me as well um, how you kind of project some of these guys. I mean, we, we look at the beginning of the season and we try to pick and choose the players that we think are going to be future stars and whatnot. But there's always going to be surprises. There's always going to be somebody who comes out and, and does something that we don't expect. So both the nice, fun, comforting stuff is there, and then also the really cool, fun, exciting stuff is there. I mean, Seven Banks obviously scoring a, a touchdown. And he that's, took it to know. the bank. Yes, he did. He, one, of, one of many puns uh, <laughs> created after uh, his touchdown, which I, I appreciate you not going for the obvious – one related to his name and, and well, well, so, to see, somebody, his first somebody, name anyway. Somebody responded to me because I tweeted that, you know, seven banks takes it to the bank and yeah. somebody, somebody responded and said, you know, dot, 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 four, seven. I'm like, but I can't make that joke because no. he took it in for six. You can't, you can't leave the kicker out in the cold like that. So no, no, I can't go to the seven pun. He took it to the bank and I will claim to be the progenitor of that one. Uh, at least until somebody else tells me no, that like 27 other people had already made that, <laughs> made that you know joke at some point in the, but that was fun, right? Like, like oh, was, it was fantastic. My, yeah. my my wife had gone to the kitchen. I'm sitting on the couch with the little tyke and the stunning Miss Advance had gone to the kitchen for something, uh, more snacks or drinks or whatever. And he, <laughs> he picks it up and starts run, running toward the end zone. And I'm like, go, go, keep going. No, don't look back. Keep going, keep going. And I just like him, you know, screaming. And then when he hits the, the, the pay dirt, you know, I, I just must have lost him. He came and he's like, are, are you having a fit? Are you okay? Do I need to... <laughs> Well, she has medical help. Everybody's just getting back into this football thing. We we've forgotten what it's like, and that's okay. It's you just have to you know kind of remember that. That was one of the most fun things I think that that particular sequence. I mean, that was just you love seeing defensive scores like that. And and you know, by the way, those are the kind of things that are hallmark of a championship defense, right? Yes. When your defense is putting points on the board, do we have a national championship rushing attack? I'm not. I'm not there yet. Do we have a national championship defense? I, I would have said no. Uh, 59 minutes into the contest, at the end, I think okay, there's potential here. And most importantly, I agree with what you said earlier. The the passing attack and the talent of of Justin Fields provided he's able to stay healthy throughout the season. I mean that's that's where everything's going to start and stop for this football club. One other yeah. thing I was really, you talk about things you were pleasantly surprised with. Um, you know, Joe Klatt said something early in the broadcast that caught my attention. He was talking about Ohio state's offensive line. And he said, this may be the best offensive line in the country. And, and, and my ears perked up because I knew that they're highly regarded, but, but mm-hmm. when he, when he said that they may be one of the best in the country, maybe the best in the country that caught my attention. How did you, how did you think the the big eaters performed for the Buckeyes, given what we've said about the rushing attack? Were were they as good as expected? Do you have do you, do you have any concerns there about uh, the front? Because we were talking about Fields getting sacked a few times. I mean, what sure. are your thoughts? 
Well, a lot, you know, a lot of field sacks are related to him just running around and, and, you know, kind of trying to make something happen. And yep. where another quarterback might just throw the ball away, he understands that he can get to a position where he can make a kind of throw that other people can't. And he's willing to risk taking a sack to try to get a 20-yard completion or something like that, which I'm fine with in general mm-hmm. because he's able to make it happen more often than not. I thought their blocking was fine. I, I think, you know, I said this last week, I, I think this is more of a pass-blocking uh, offensive line than maybe a run-blocking offensive line. Uh, they, they know who they need to protect, and they're going to do it. So, you know, the holes were there. There were – Definitely times when uh, Nebraska's defensive line kind of sold out and, and made it difficult for them to run the ball. You could argue that the offensive line's job is to you know overcome that and open up holes regardless. But I thought they did a good job, honestly. I thought they did a pretty good job, particularly in pass uh, blocking. But you're not going to – I mean, it isn't going to be just like five Orlando paces out there and just bowling dudes over every single play. You're going you're gonna to get got sometimes by the defensive line, and that's okay. But in general, I thought they played really well, and, and Wyatt Davis had a really good game. Um, Harry Miller was kind of inconsistent, but I think he finished well. So only, only member of the line who didn't grade out a champion, if uh, if if I'm yeah. reading the press release right. So you know, maybe Which, that's a motivational tool there. Yeah, and I and I get that, and that's fine. Um, and he'll improve, and he'll get better, and that's that's okay too, especially with more experience. I thought they did okay overall. Pro Football Focus uh, tabbed them as the highest-graded Power 5 offensive line this week ahead of Alabama. Well, so that's uh, the other thing. We're going to get that, into that. That caught my eye also because, I, you know, going back to the sacks and, and yeah. running backs getting hit in the backfield, which I think is probably more on the running backs than on the offensive line. Right. Uh, but, you know, people who – do the analytics on these things seem to think they're pretty good, which, you know, gives me hope that maybe as those running backs, you know, come into form here, you know, they're, they're working from a good foundation and not for nothing back to Justin Fields, being able to pick up a yard or two whenever he needed under center, having maybe the best offensive line in the country, if that's really legit, certainly uh, doesn't hurt your cause any. No. And and we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to the Penn state game, but I don't think that you're going to see the kind of consistency that maybe you're used to in college football. A good example of this might be the fact that there were five fumbles in this game. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's something that I think fans are going to have to live with a little bit. And I, I understand why somebody would look at Ohio state's offensive line performance and say, okay, that's the best in the nation that week or something like that, because it's not like Clemson and Alabama, which are really the only two teams that you're looking at right now in terms of big time rivals for, you know, football hegemony. They're not that consistent either right now. Nobody's consistent. Nobody is going to be exactly what you want them to be on a week to week basis. And even teams like them that have multiple games under their belt at this point, they're, they're still going to have setbacks because of the, the overall weirdness of what we're experiencing right now. So I thought they did really well for the first game. I, I thought they acquitted themselves really well. They're going to get another challenge next week, and we'll get into that. Last thing I want to say about this game, the headhunting, the targeting, all that stuff, I know the broadcast – crew did not agree with a lot of these calls and said, no, you got to let them play. You gotta... I, I'm sorry. When someone launches themselves, leaves their feet and hits somebody as they're going up and then hits them in the upper part of their air. I don't understand how that's not like targeting. And I, I understand maybe 
feeling a little queasy about kicking somebody out of the game for doing that stuff. I felt that Nebraska was doing that for most of the game where they were really trying to take out Ohio State players. And, and in some cases, I mean, you look at Chris Olave, they, they managed to, to do it. So I don't feel any sympathy for how Nebraska was handled by the refs in that game because I thought they were really being reckless with some of their tackling and, and just not doing what they needed to do safely. I, I thought they were playing really poorly in, in that respect. A couple I don't things, know how you feel about it. Yeah, a couple things can simultaneously be true, one of which being that dude absolutely deserved to get the ejection. Yeah. Um, he, he lowered his head and shoulders and launched himself as a projectile toward the man with the yeah. ball. Like that is the definition. Just don't do that. I don't that understand. Is, I, like there are ways to tackle without doing that. I don't understand why that's like, that's a dangerous play. I don't understand well, why that's considered and, acceptable. And, and look, here, here's the reality. You know, why have we implemented this targeting rule? It is because we don't want you do dangerous plays. We've got to right. clean up, you know, the, the concussions. I mean, that's all part of it. And, and when we all agree that's important and should be done. And this isn't a, Oh, we're taking the, the, you know, the, the, the football out of football. Like it's not, no, it's not that it's, there's no reason where you need to try to use your head as a spear to take out a, a ball carrier. That there's no, no reason to do that because if you look at how Ohio state has developed its tackling over the past, what, what I mean, when did Chris Ash come to Ohio State? How many ever years that's been? You know, the focus on the rugby style tackling and, you know, mm-hmm. wrapping guys up and your head on a hip and all those things that they do, it's, it's to, A, number one, you know, get the guy on the ground. That's, that's you know, maybe the most important thing if you're not saying that player safety is the most important thing, and maybe you should be if you're not. That, that call I had no problem with whatsoever. I thought the referees, uh, the, the uh, officials – called it correctly and that dude has nobody to be upset with but himself for getting ejected from the ball game and missing the first half of, of uh next week's i think that was the second half yeah. um play so he's going to miss half of, of next week and that's that's perfectly deserved i agree with clat on one thing i i am wholeheartedly in favor of whether you want to call it a flagrant one flagrant two type system or a yellow card red card system i'm very much in favor of there being a gradation, having a one sure. size fits all ejection policy bugs me to no end because how many times have we seen where you see a play kid gets ejected and, and we all say, what was he supposed to do? You know, that maybe it was the, the ball carrier lowered his shoulder uh, drop levels, whatever you want to say, you know, there are any number of, I, I estimated maybe 90, 95% of the plays where a guy gets ejected really didn't merit an ejection. It was, right. you know, what we'll call incidental contact, or it was certainly not intentional. It wasn't that play that, that dude looked like he was head hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were several times where you said Nebraska players, looked like and i don't think they were literally head hunting and you know it's not like right but they they were they were but it's okay poor tackling trying form. to tackle by yeah. hitting somebody in the shoulder or upper body area as opposed to getting them on the ground poor, poor tackling form for yes. sure and so you have a, a punitive rule to try to incentivize change in behavior and and that's why i'm okay with leaving you know a a, a red card type a flagrant two type where Hey, if you do this, if your feet leave the crowd, if you launch yourself, yeah, get your butt out of here and head to the showers. Right. Uh, but if you're, you know, any number of the Ohio State players who have been ejected for targeting over the past two or three years, where we all looked and said, the, the, you know, it's egregious, that's one where I'm okay with there's a 15 yard penalty. We still want to penalize it because even if you didn't intend to, you know, knock the guy into next week you still did something you shouldn't have done, even if maybe it wasn't intentional or whatnot, but it's still a penalty, right? Just like a face mask penalty. Yeah. 
you know, guys get called for face masks that didn't intend to grab a dude by the face mask. Uh, but you still got to take your 15 yards and that's the way it goes. So that's, that's where I totally agree with Clat. I think Clat was really overselling how horrible and egregious he made it seem like the <laughs> yeah. officials were wrong. And I'm like, Joel, I love you. I'm a big Joel Clat Stan. I think he's one of the best analysts in the business. He was just flat wrong uh, about that. But I do agree with him in principle that I, I want to see some more nuance and gradation. It doesn't need to be one size fits all. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think that you can definitely have an incidental contact talk, contact kind of thing and, you know, not just automatically still take your 15 yards, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm on board with that. Cause we want to try to get any of those dangerous plays out of the sport as we can. Uh, I'm, I'm on board with that. Make it, make it a personal foul. Just, you know, like any of these other 15 yard type penalties, take, take your lumps and go on. Uh, but we don't need to be ejecting every guy who just happened to have shoulder, yeah. you know, his shoulder in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. So that, you know, that's the Ohio state game. It's, it's a good result. It, you know, as a staff, 11 warriors nailed this one 52 to 17 and we got it exactly correct. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, did pretty damn good on that one. Um, you know, we'll talk, as I said, we'll talk about Penn state going forward. I I'm feeling <laughs> for obvious reasons, much more confident about that one maybe than, and I was pretty feeling pretty confident. <laughs> before the season started, but uh, yeah. I'm feeling even more confident now. We'll get into that. Let's do a little national picture here. So on Friday, uh, Wisconsin opened up the Big Ten season. They just dumped all over Illinois. That was not even close. Graham Mertz looked like an all-world guy. Really an incredibly similar game to what Justin Fields had, actually, against Nebraska. And then he tested positive for COVID. Home Slice has his Heisman campaign fired up and apparently goes out on the town. I'm kidding. I have no idea what yeah. he did. But, but like it's, I saw that news. I'm like, well, somebody partied a little too hardy after the game and picked yeah. himself up a little Rona. But it's, it's crazy because, I mean, that takes him out for weeks. I mean, he's got a positive test, and I'm sure they'll try to do another one and see if that, that's real and, and, you know, make sure it's not a false positive or anything like that. But, damn, that's – what a wild – like he introduces himself to the college football world. Right. And it is just has this unbelievable first performance. I don't think anybody was expecting, right. We were making jokes about, okay, it's stereotypical Wisconsin quarterback. They grow him in a vat yeah. and he comes out and has this unbelievable performance. And then it gets immediately derailed. Uh, Wisconsin, by the way, is in really dire straits at quarterback. They've got a couple injuries they're dealing with. I don't even know who their starting quarterback would be at this point. Um, Jack, I mean, Cone is there, but I think he's, he's hobbled a little bit. I think it's a foot thing. I'm not really sure, but like they're, they got issues. Um, mm -hmm. if, if Mertz isn't available. So I don't know what that's going to look like for them going forward. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a dire situation there uh, in, in Madison and man, this, but the, the bigger story here to me too this is the tightrope we're all watching, walking as fans of a team this season, right? Oh, sure. Like that, you know, we, we could look and say, oh, geez, wow, oh, too bad Wisconsin. But that, you know, but for the grace of God, go I, uh, that, that, that could be your team next week or two weeks from now and dealing with potentially a 21-day quarantine. Right, exactly. That, that is, anybody could be affected at any time. It could be any position group whoever any start you know that, that's something everybody's got to look out for and I, I think it's important to you know people understand I, I saw a lot of this chatter on on Twitter people talking about well why is it 21 days you know CDC says it's what you have to understand if, if you haven't 
looked into this. So you're going to have uh, the the COVID quarantine period, right? So if you've been exposed, you're going to have to quarantine the, the 14 days. If you've been symptomatic, maybe it's just the 10 days. But then sure. after that, the Big Ten has built in this this period to get all of the relevant testing because they're going to put them all through the various cardiac tests, you know, to make sure right. that they're not suffering from other lingering issues beyond, you know, just, just the actual viral response. And then there's this acclimate, um, acclimatization, acclimatization or acclimation period to get them back into football shape, so to speak. You know, you can't just take a guy out of isolation and pop him back out on the field. These aren't actually video game characters. So they've, they've right. built that in. It's, it's not just, Oh, well, my 10 days are up time to go back to practice. Um, and, and I get like, it seems pretty crazy to think a guy could miss three games out of a, you know, what are, what are we having? Nine games total, eight games total. Yeah. Um, that, that does seem pretty crazy, but I, I get it. I get why they're doing it that way because they're trying to take the player safety aspect of it as seriously as they can. Right. Um, and so that, you know, as you said, that can affect anybody in time and it's, it's something that's you got to look out for. It's, Hopefully not something that affects Ohio State, uh, but you, you never know. Hopefully um, the guys are taking their bubbles seriously, whatever their bubbles yes. look like. Uh, I'm, you know, like I say, but for the grace of God, go I keep your fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever it is that you happen to do uh, for your particular suspicious <laughs> bent, uh, superstitious bent, but <laughs> call, right. call, call on those lucky charms because, I mean, that's that's real. That's real. It is. Uh, so number one, Clemson, they, you know, they struggled a little bit with Syracuse. Syracuse is, is super booty, but uh, Clemson got through it. Um, you know, Dabo after the game was really defensive about it, which is hilarious. Because Dabo's defensive about everything. That guy he is. Like, and I don't. tool in the box. He is. And I don't understand why you would be defensive about this specifically because. Poor little ex- Clemson. Right. But my experience, every time I've, you know, either reported on a coach that lost or that won a game, but maybe didn't look great in doing so, or I have written something about it and I've looked at coaches in the post game, all that kind of stuff. They're pretty contrite. And I, the other thing that I find interesting is that like, you know, they're playing to their audience. They knew who the fans are. They know what the fans want to hear and expect. And generally, the coaches go, okay, well, the fans are going to be pissed. Even if I don't think it's that big of a deal because I know it was just a weird scheme thing and it's not something that's probably repeatable, I have to kind of appear contrite and say, oh, well, you know, we really kind of screwed up here and, you know, we'll do better next time. Dabo comes out and just whines about how people aren't giving his team enough credit. And I I guess you have that kind of cachet when you're Dabo, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just a completely opposite track of what a coach would normally do in that situation uh to be defensive and whiny is just it's such a dumb look i feel like he's that actor that only can play one role you know the the guy (laughs) that's the guy that's typecast because that's the only type he can play like that yes that's dombo because his only trick the only thing he knows how to do is to come out and do the poor little Clemson nobody respects us thing. Dabo Giamatti, he can't play any other thing <laughs> except for the sad sack that just whines and it's I mean, fine. He just, you know, you're you're the number one team in the country. You you know, you've got the top recruits in the country. You've got the bigger payroll. I mean, you've got uh, more more fan support <laughs> right. than anybody else in the country and and you come out and you just oh, nobody gives us any respect. Horse hockey coach. Yeah. No, nobody's disrespecting little old Clemson. 
Uh, now, you know, I'll, I'll say this. People, I think, have been acting because Justin Fields hasn't been playing football for, you know, how many, eight weeks, seven weeks now. Uh, and, and Sunshine has been. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, Lawrence had, a, you know, just a, a so-so game. He's 27 out of 43 passing attempts for 289 it was, it was yards. Okay. A pair of touchdowns and a pick, you know. So I, I look and say, all right, well, that's a, that's a decent stat line. You're not going to bench a guy for that. Right. But it wasn't 20 for 21, you know? No. And, <laughs> I, and that, and that may play into it. And also the fact that I think it was, he, it was the pick six. I think it wasn't just a pick. It was huge. also, uh, so, you know, that makes them look bad. And I get it, but those are such minor things. And as you said, they're still the number one team in the country. They're still probably at this point, the prohibitive favorite to, you know, get whatever championship is at the end of all of this. Alabama looked all right. I, <laughs> I love the fact that they just dumped on Tennessee. Tennessee, for a hot minute, believed that they were going to be good this year, and they weren't, and that's funny. Uh, Notre Dame looked decent. Um, Oklahoma State, I get that people want to make the Big 12 a thing right now because that's really your last option. Uh, <laughs> they're not that great. And, uh, you know, they were able to escape with a win against Iowa State. But, I, you know, I'm just not – I'm not feeling it. Uh, if there's anybody I, I dislike as a human being, I think, you know, on the coaching side of college football more than Davo, it's probably Mike Gundy. So I'm looking forward to the hubris taking them down. Here's the thing. I thought Penn State was going to be okay this season. I did not think they were actually going to be all that great. I'm surprised they lost to Indiana. Uh, I'm not surprised that they lost because I am not – like Sean Clifford had an okay game. I am really not a believer in that dude in general. I think he's just going to be really inconsistent. And obviously, you know, you lose Dirty Brown, that's going to hurt your offense a lot. Yeah, I love how, you know, you and I record last week's episode and you specifically call sure. out Journey Brown. Right. And then like two minutes later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's out. <laughs> like way to go johnny you know yeah um anybody else you want to stick with your voodoo doll uh pins you know well we'll get to that this week actually (laughs) the answer is yes we'll get to that uh good there you go uh cincinnati you know i'm just kind of running down the list here cincinnati people actually had them as dogs they were they were not uh, betting favorites in that game against SMU. People thought that SMU's uh, offense, which had looked really great up to that point, was going to kind of run them out of the, the stadium. And yet, the fight in Luke Fickles beat the crap out of SMU and right now look really, really good. That, as if, if any team can be a top 10 team in this season, right? Why not Cincinnati? You know what I mean? I don't love the fact that they're doing good because I can't stand their fan base, but... I do enjoy the fact that Luke Fickle has a team that if you look at the other teams around them, who tell me Cincinnati isn't a top 10 team, yeah, right? Absolutely. Tell me they're not you know, better than Miami or BYU or North Carolina or something at this point, because frankly, I see the argument that they could be, you know, even in the top six or seven at this point. I, they're, they're a legit team. Cincinnati comes in at number seven in the Associated Press poll this right. week and the coaches poll uh, after moving up three spots in the coaches poll, moving up two spots in the AP. And I, and I think it's right. You know, they're, they're uh, undefeated and I, I couldn't be happier for Luke Fickle. There's, there's a guy that you love to root for, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, whether, whether you're a fan of him as a player, whether you're a fan of, of him trying to, uh, you know, steer the ship, uh, in in one of our darkest hours, so to speak, here at Ohio State, the years he spent on the sidelines as a coach under Jim Trestle. I mean, it's all 
a great story and he's built a great program um, and, and it couldn't be happier for him. So yeah, I don't have the same baggage with the fan base that you do. Cause I, I grew up far enough out of the Metro, even though I'm an SOB, uh, <laughs> well, see their difference is I love Cincinnati basketball and Cincinnati basketball fans, but the football fans are just the most like front running people in the history of the universe. And they truly believe that there will come a time. There'll be some day Ragnarok, whenever, yeah. right. The apocalypse, when, down is up and up is down and Ohio state football will be bad. And Cincinnati will take the rightful place on the Ohio college football, football throne. And I, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen guys. Like I, I enjoy these times when Cincinnati looks good. They, Desmond Ritter, that dude can run the hell out of that football. There, there's some really good talent on that team. They're still not Ohio state. Yep. Um, I just don't see that happening. Um, but I like when they're good. And, I, and, you know, and like you said, I like when Luke Fickle's successful. That's fun. So that's cool. I, here's, here's another one that I was super wrong about. I thought Minnesota was going to beat Michigan. I had no Row the boat. Row the boat. I had – I think Tanner Morgan is legit. I still think he's pretty legit. I, he got no help from his offensive line all night. Michigan's defensive line. Quiddy Pay is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, their Michigan defensive line just absolutely tore up minnesota's offensive line and tanner morgan had no time at all to do anything but the real surprise of that game was joe milton coming out and looking like an absolute badass for michigan and i i compared him in threat level tonight i compared him honestly to cardell jones and that's not that's not a comparison i make lightly joe milton is six four six five he's got an absolute cannon for an arm I think all the downsides that you could say about Cardell Jones, right, in 2015, I think also apply there. Um, you're going to get a guy who's not super accurate and maybe isn't going to win a game for you when you really need it. Uh, but in general, he's got a lot of the same uh, intangibles that Cardell had, and that arm is is crazy. So mission comes out, they go up to Minnesota, they just put an absolute – butt whooping on Minnesota and you know if you want to give the caveats there they're available right Minnesota was missing their entire kicking squad (laughs) like all of their kickers have COVID uh two-fifths of their offensive line 40 percent of their offensive line was gone uh due to injuries they're missing a starting linebacker this is definitely a Minnesota team that was not at full strength so if you want to look at that and say okay maybe this isn't you know, Michigan doesn't, we don't really know exactly what they have. That's fine. But I just focus in on Joe Milton and he looked really good. Now this is a guy who's been in the program for a long time. He better look a little more seasoned, right. Than somebody who comes in as a true freshman or something like that. But uh, against Minnesota, he looked decent. And if you're a Michigan fan, here's the other thing I'll say as someone who's watched a lot of Michigan football over the past three or four years, mm-hmm. Uh, that was probably the most entertaining Michigan football has been in at least two seasons, like flat out that, that was, they looked like an actual fun team that you would want to watch, which is wild. I mean, they keep playing like this. Harbaugh may be working his way into an extension. <laughs> yeah, maybe, perhaps. Uh, maybe uh, maybe that's what we're looking at here. Coach realizes this is a contract year. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It could be. I mean, there. look, even the running game was doing pretty well. And now, again, Haskins and Charbonnet, like, they both had two really long runs and then basically did nothing else for the rest of the game. Uh, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Joe Milton adds that extra kind of dynamic to the running game that maybe they had been missing with Patterson. Patterson 
was an athlete and the guy could run a little bit, but never really in the service of actually advancing the ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was usually five yards behind the line of scrimmage and just hoping you would find an open person who never really ever got there. So, you know, they're missing Nico Collins, who would be a huge boon to their offense because that would really give them uh, another passing weapon that I think would make them really scary, uh, assuming Joe Milton can continue what he did. Um, but Ronnie Bell still looks pretty good. It, it's It's – an interesting team, and that's more than I can say for the Wolverines uh, in the past several years. Now, whether they keep it up or not, I don't know. We've I've been fooled before, right? Um, but from what I saw on Saturday, they could be a team to really pay attention to. And I know that's a stupid thing to say to Mich- or to Ohio State fans, but um, yeah, keep an eye on Michigan during the season and not just in that last game because they they might show you something that you'd be surprised by. Or not, actually. They could completely fall apart next week, have a terrible game plan, and they lose by 20. Who knows? It's happened before. It has happened before. So that's, you know, kind of a rundown of this week. It's good to talk about all of this with Ohio State, right, being in the context of college football. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just saying, like, you know, wouldn't hypothetically it be interesting if Ohio State was part of this whole thing? Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's kind of, that's kind of cool. It, it's good yeah. to be back. It's good to see them back. Buckeyes check in at number three in both polls, as I mentioned, yes. which, you know, is, is right. Exactly. I think when we started talking about where Ohio state would fit in the polls two or three weeks ago, that's, that's exactly what I expected to happen. Assuming that Clemson and Alabama held serve, you know, they'd continue to be the top two teams in the country and, and rightfully so, I think. And so now the question, you know, for, I think for the rest of the season is going to be who, who is the fourth team? Right. Who, who is the fourth team? Is it is Notre Dame gonna going to win out? And that, I mean, no. that'd be, it'd be a pretty <laughs> interesting little, uh, pretty little, yeah, because they play Clemson at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's so that's not a thing. Uh, and so yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm I'm won't be surprised if Iowa State takes the the fighting mullets uh, down in the Big Twelve. It, it, I mean, there's it won't surprise me if this is another two SEC uh, team playoff. You know, when it's all said and done, assuming Ohio State and Clemson both continue to do their thing but but who knows there's a lot of football to be played yet there is and we will continue following it and i'm just excited i'm just happy i'm just happy it's back it's it's just so nice it's so nice uh we want to remind you that the 11 Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com drygoods.11warriors.com shirts hat stickers all kinds of great stuff and let's do a little ask us anything uh Woo-hoo. remember you can ask us questions and now of course you can ask us football questions uh, by sending us um, an email to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Let's get to a question from our good friend Chalk. And Chalk wants to know, he says, perhaps my favorite year in terms of anticipation for Buckeye football was 2015 with Braxton Miller, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett. When Nebraska showing two quarterback looks, it made me think of 2015 and the wasted wild offensive stats and plays that I would have willed into existence if I was the offensive coordinator. Uh, my question is this. What is your dream play with those three on the field? Would it have been successful, in your opinion, if an offensive coordinator committed to it? And why didn't we just try it out, even in garbage time? Uh, and bonus question, why didn't we see Braxton pass that year? They teased it, and it never happened. I came up with so many potential offensive like <laughs> sets. I just remember before the season just giggling at the idea of having all three of them on the field at the same time. Um, I think there's so many things you could have done. I, I would have, here's what I would have done, honestly. Split out both Cardale and Braxton, put JT under center, right? And then have them both block for Zeke. That's like, basically do everything you can 
to to make it look like it's some kind of goofy crazy thing where they're all gonna do it. and then hand off to like a fullback or somebody just don't do anything that people would expect uh i, I don't love the idea of doing a bunch of flea flickers and, and goofy crap like that um but i do really like the idea of basically just cardale jones split wide that's really funny to me <laughs> in so many contexts so another thing that you could have done was maybe split them wide have them like maybe two feet or so off the uh uh, the line of scrimmage, have somebody block and then just like do a little, you know, lateral backwards, lateral to him, and then have him just dump it all the way on the other side of the field to a sprinting Braxton Miller on a, you know, like a fly route or something like that. Uh, have him throw it vertically across the field uh, or like vertically, like, like diagonally, right. From one end all the way to the other 70 yards and then see if that would work out. I, I think it would be terrible and stupid and never happen, but uh, I, I just really wanted Cardell split wide. That's it. That, that's all I wanted in life, and I didn't get to see it. You know, so. I just remember uh, it seemed like we as, as fans, and I, I'm spending a, you know, a lot of time um, for many years in the comment sections at 11warriors.com, one of my favorite websites, and I, and I hope the listeners have heard of it. And uh, maybe visit there from time to time. Mm. I remember commenters for years, we kept talking about the diamond formation. And I remember, uh, I, I think even back as far as like 2013, this thing made an appearance in uh, like spring practice or something. And so then for, it felt like two or three years that we kept saying as, you know, fans of the conference, this is going to be the you know, time when we see the diamond formation break its, make its appearance. Is it good? And <laughs> it never happened. It just right. never happened. Uh, and and I, so I'm, I'm kind of with. It's like thrown right? to the tight end. It never. Yeah. 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 This, will, this will be the year where we incorporate the tight ends. It's going to happen. Right. It's going to happen. Sure. And, you know, insert the, the, uh, the, the, the gifs, uh, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's kind of, right. No, that's, that's where we were. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Like there were so many things that I thought, and I, you know, you one of the things you'd say about Urban Meyer is that, especially later in his tenure, he would just revert to what was comfortable so many times. And I think there were a lot of those things where you see Ryan Day as being a guy who was much more adaptable to circumstance. Where mm-hmm. you know, Urban Meyer was just going to run Braxton, be damned, uh, you know, or he was just going to run JT uh, and, and just going to go back to whatever was comfortable, the security right. blanket, if you will. Um, and so that's probably why we didn't see some of those fun things that as, as fans. Hey, and you know, the other part of it is maybe that stuff just doesn't work. You know, I yeah. mean, Nebraska <laughs> ran two quarterbacks and like, did they have that much success with it? Yeah. I mean, you know, Point. yeah, it fits and starts, but like, is that, is that a national championship winning system? Uh, you know, there's Probably maybe not. a reason where you just don't see that happen, but playoff quality teams year yeah. in year out. Cause I agree. You know. And, and honestly, part of the reason why we didn't see Braxton pass that year is because he probably couldn't. I mean, his arm was just kind of welded back on there. Right. I mean, yeah, you really, he just, he didn't, he didn't have the prettiest passing, uh, you know, throwing motion in general uh, before the injury. And I think after the injury, I don't, I don't know that they were willing to risk him tearing something or hurting himself again. So that I actually am not surprised by at all. I, I actually didn't expect him to be able to do that that season. So, and I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't, I'm glad they didn't, take that risk and, and further injure the dude. I, what they should have done was incorporate him way better in the offensive game plan as a runner or a wide receiver. Uh, but yeah, as a passer, I'm, I'm glad they kind of kept him out of that. So uh, Chalk, thank you for sending that in. Let's, let's wrap this up real quick. We've, we've got this Penn State game. It's Halloween Eve, I think. Uh, it's in Happy Valley, but you know, no, no real 
fans and you're not really widening out the the game there. How are you feeling about this and how do you think it turns out? I, you know, it, this, this is a weird one now because of what happened with my Hoosiers going in there yeah. and getting the deal done. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I I did graduate studies at IU and, and Purdue, and so all three of my football teams won Saturday, which is like a weird thing. When was the last time both Indiana football teams won conference <laughs> games on the same day? Like, it feel, it's Halloween's coming, I guess. Right. So you look at Penn State, you know, that's a game that in a normal year you would expect Penn State to win handily, right? Like, yep. that's – I don't remember what the line was for the game, but I can't imagine it was a three-and-a-half-point game. No. Uh, and so then you, you come out and now – I get, you know, people are, if you're a Penn State fan, you're probably worked up about how it ended and so on. But hey, guys, you know, maybe you shouldn't have been in that position. Maybe this is a game that you should have won handily and not had to rely on uh, a, a fluky two-point conversion that you're unhappy about or whatever the, the, the finish was there. So, uh, you know, I part of me says, if you're Penn State, that game takes the starch out of your sales because what are you playing for now? And that's my concern about this season as a whole, by the way is mm. is for top you know five or ten teams these playoff or bust teams you know do, does a does a loss demoralize them does it fire them back up do they think hey you know what uh ohio state you know is one loss away too so and i'm assuming that james franklin because i think he's probably better at this part than than most coaches i think he'll have his guys ready to play i think they'll be fired up um and and know that ohio state's essentially yeah. you know one game at a time too um so, you know, I, I think Ohio State has the better team. Certainly, Penn State missing uh, your best player on offense and defense. Not great because mm-hmm. you're missing Parsons and Jer- Micah Parsons and Journey Brown. Right. Uh, you know, that's that's a big deal. You know, my, momentum's not in your favor. It's not going to be a wide out, even if it is going to be a primetime, um, you know, game day, uh, ESPN game day kind of kind of event. They're going to finish and They're going to finish their first two games zero and two. It's it's going to happen. Ohio State is going to go in there, take care of business. They've gotten some of these cobwebs and kinks worked out, and the Buckeyes are going to hold serve and roll. Yeah, I I'm interested in this game because I want to see how both defenses play. Sean Clifford again. I don't love the guy. I think he's capable of some really boneheaded plays. But he's a really good athlete, and he put up, you know, like 330, or 350, 330 total yards of offense, I guess, against Indiana. A lot of it was due to his legs, and Ohio State may struggle with that a little bit this season. Um, so I think what I'm saying is that Indiana is going to probably – excuse me, Penn State's going to score a little bit more than Nebraska did. And I think you're looking at a game where Ohio State still wins comfortably – but it might be something a little bit more like 38-24, 38-22-21, something like that. Um, because I mean, they, it opens as, what, an eight-point favorite, but then yeah. I think by today it's up to 12 or 13. Uh, right. Maybe uh, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's widened pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think Penn State – I think Sean Clifford will be able to, to do a couple of interesting things and then maybe they score a garbage-time touchdown at the end. But Ohio State just has too many offensive weapons, and Penn State really just doesn't. So um, they'll exploit, particularly you know, with you know losing your best linebacker, they'll exploit that with their wide receiver depth and some, and and maybe their tight ends. Who knows? But I, if I were to put a, a score on this, I'd say like thirty-eight twenty-one, thirty-eight twenty-four. And uh, yeah, and and really, if you're looking at the schedule, that's probably Ohio State's biggest threat um, up until 
Michigan, really. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, that's – I don't know. I, I don't know how this season's going to turn out. I don't want to get cocky, but this to me feels like a really significant game just because I don't know what else you're looking at. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's – you know, it, it's not a two-game season. It's not like a three-game season or anything like But this is – I mean – Okay, maybe Indiana, you know, even, I guess. They've got a good quarterback. But Hey, R- Rutgers, man. Come on, why you got to be disrespecting <laughs> Rutgers, you know? <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't. Rutgers came out and handled Michigan State and looked really good doing it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's weird to me to have a game this significant this early right now just because mm-hmm. of the way the situation is. Yeah. But um, I think they'll yeah, do this, a good job. I think they'll come out and set the tone for the, the rest of the season. I mean, this is a game that, you know, if you think about it, the way the schedule should have been running, Oregon was, was Ohio right. State's early season test. This game right. is taking the place of that right. in, in, in kind of the moments of the season, right? Because this, yes. is, this, this should have been the toughest team Ohio State faces all year until – the Big Ten championship game and or the playoffs, depending on how good you think Wisconsin or, or you know, if, if Wisconsin ends up, maybe they won't end up being the, the other uh, participant in the Big Ten championship game. Who knows? A lot of, a lot of things could happen now if their uh, QB1 is sidelined for three weeks. But, you, you know, you were – it's funny to see how we'll discuss this, this season in terms of the schedule because you started out thinking, okay, Ohio State's got two big games back-to-back up front and then basically a four-week bye. <laughs> now, right. now, hey, you know – um, I, I mean, you don't expect that Rutgers is suddenly going to become uh, a top 10 team, but maybe they're not the wet blankets that we thought they were, or maybe Michigan state really is just that terrible. And now yes. you have Indiana, you know, Indiana's going to be feeling their oats in the top 25 mm. uh, of the country now, and, and probably going to stay there for, for a couple weeks anyway. So, you know, it's interesting to see how this first weekend of big 10 football has maybe changed our perceptions. I, I think, I'm I'm probably feeling a little more comfortable about this Penn State game than I was. Oh uh, sure, yeah. You know, I, I was looking at that saying, hey, this could be a you know this could be a, a, a one score ball game, and maybe it still will be. Um, you know, if I'm using if I go and I look at the data, you know, Bill Connolly's SP Plus probably has it a twelve and a half point favorite for the Buckeyes on a, a neutral field. So the line, you know, I think Bovada's got it now at thirteen uh, in favor of Ohio State. You know, that's that's probably not terrible. I don't know if I'd put money on it, but uh, yeah. somewhere it won't surprise me if the Buckeyes win by two touchdowns or more. Yeah. And, and we'll be here to kind of dissect that and break it down. And, and I'm just excited. I, just, I can't say it enough. I'm just excited that football is back. So football, baby. until that's right. Until next week, uh, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time.